0: Welcome to the podcast. is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach Chad Timmerman. Hi everybody. Our CEO Nate Pearson. Hello. We're going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon related training questions today. You can submit them to us at trainerroad.com slash podcast. And before we get into things, uh, like usual, we have some housekeeping items to take care of. Uh firstly, Nate, uh, do you want to kick off?
1: Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, so go ahead. I had somebody in the last episode, I talked about my sleep apnea, and a mm. user emailed in, and he, it might have been April Fool's, but he <laughs> said, because his advice sounds kind of weird, but his advice was um, to take a piece of, like, athletic tape and tape your mouth shut, kind of like you're being kidnapped, and that would force you to breathe through your nose <laughs> all night long, yeah, yeah. so you would still roll on your back, but I guess... Maybe the, I'm, I'm not really sure how it works, but the claps in your throat, when you open your mouth, that mm. wouldn't happen. You breathe through your nose. So I've done it now, three nights.
2: Mm-hmm. I've
1: survived each night. <laughs> um, I don't have any conclusive, I've been feeling pretty good, but I've also had a lot of other like uh, staying up later than I should, and it's mm. been like rainy and windy, and that was waking me up. So the results are still out, but I'm going to do it.
0: I assume your snoring though has completely stopped. I don't know. Because
1: right? I don't know if I'm snoring and my wife wears earplugs now every night. Okay. So- we don't know. Like, mm. It could be really bad, but I'm guessing it's not. Right. Um, pro tips: If you're going to do this, I'm using 3M paper tape. Mm. That's the same kind of tape I used to uh, cover my bandage when okay. when it was done. That is so thin that you can get in this panic situation in the morning where I couldn't peel it off my face. Like I couldn't get my fingernail underneath it, <laughs> and I was kind of like, "Oh my god! Oh my
0: god!" Yeah. So be panicky.
1: Now I fold over the end, so I have a big strip on either side that I can just grab quickly take it off. Smart. Um, two, put a bunch of Vaseline on your lips because when you peel it off, it takes a layer off your skin. Oh. And three, you don't need your morning cup of coffee. Just wake up, rip a, <laughs> rip a huge piece of tape across your face.
0: I feel like we should have a very, very bold disclaimer that says do Every, not try anything that could suffocate yourself.
1: So awful. <laughs> I think I
3: would wake up panicking several oh, times over the course of a night. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. you just got to relax. Just like on the train. Oh, that's the idea. Of sleeping, right? But just it, relax.
0: The good news is, if you ever get kidnapped, you're probably going to be super comfortable, like yeah. not panicked at <laughs> or, uh, all. <laughs> like, I'm cool. No, someone comes <laughs> into the. <that.
1: laughs> what kind of stuff is he into? <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. The other. Speaking of April Fools, if you didn't see our April Fools joke, go to chillo.trainero.com. Yes. We Won't ruin it for you, but it is a new tool that we launched in April Fool's. New piece of tech. Yep. Yep. Every it, cyclist should have it.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Uh, one other thing we've had a number of people, uh, writing in, reminding us about the muscle biopsies and also saying that since Nate got his collarbone known, it's the perfect time for a muscle biopsy. We've been doing some research and trying to get through to it. It's actually been harder to even make this happen than we thought. But I talked to uh, a doctor, or m- my general practitioner who also, they run the same sports and fitness lab that we went to and did our other tests. Smart guy knows what he's doing. Uh, Dr. Andy Pasternak and, um, so he consulted with three other general practitioners in the area, and all of them said that they didn't know of anybody in our area that did the procedure regularly. They said that, sure, if you went to a surgeon and you really got you know convinced them to do it, they would probably do it. <clears throat> but he said it was an extremely rare thing, especially in our area. He also said that, uh, this is what he said. He said, uh, in talking to the other three general practitioners, he said all, and also some surgeons too. He said, they all agreed that a greater presence of fast twitch fibers would produce more lactate and said that it is well known and researched to quote one doctor. It sounds like this guy wants to be a Guinea pig for his audience, but it's not worth it. Uh, (laughs) yeah, he'll have to go through the process of sedation and invasive surgery. We'll end up with a decent scar and be off the bike for a while. All to learn what something we we already know from most basic textbooks and there it is so he said they all mentioned that it is a really costly procedure too uh didn't get any specifics on that but th- i had numbers even up to like 10k thrown out there uh, he didn't know i can't it seem just... that yeah okay, so i, I what think we that
1: was a ceiling a call out to yeah. listeners we can fly Jonathan anywhere.
0: Pretty much <laughs> oh, in the north.
1: I'm sure there's, some, <laughs> the biopsy. there's an Israeli doctor out way. there. Be pretty cheap.
0: If you know anybody we'll in the storage business, unit in South Florida, they we'll, could do this. We'll fly you yeah.
1: business class real nice and comfortable. That's great. Both ways. Um, you notice I wasn't in that one. Yeah. <laughs> but this, well, I really want to know the answer. But this, uh, this is another topic, though. So let's say you are, let's say it, it's true, and yeah. mm-hmm. this, the reason you have high lactate is. Fast twitch. I would argue yes, there could be something else, right? What genetic? I, I, his body could just process more lactate. I don't know. I don't his know. His body for,
3: produces more lactate, which means more fast twitch
1: f- tissue. More fast twitch fiber is. So, would you bet like your life on that? Like, there's no other possibility. I'd bet a lot on it. Yeah. Yeah, but there's no other possibility. Not that it springs to mind. No. That's see, that's what I'm that's what I'm wondering is, and then I don't know is like, is that the general? Is that 80 percent of people? I I just don't know if it's like a hundred percent correlation between those two. So that's what I, that's what I'd like to know.
0: Yeah. 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 Then I, I totally get that same curiosity. I just can't
1: think of anything start to finish in the metabolic cycle,
3: the anaerobic metabolic cycle that would, or aerobic for that matter, that would
1: alter this outside of fiber composition. I know. Mm. But the other thing too, is they find out stuff about the human body all the time, which is so weird. Right, yeah. just because it doesn't make perfect I feel like sense, somebody, to somebody would have stumbled onto something about
0: well, this. You never know. Yeah, but I, I get. So I'm just, I, get I just both want, sides, the, I want right?
1: the, I want the, I want the confirmation. Like we think it's this. We want the truth, and then we know. <laughs> oh yes, it is this. Yes. And I'm sure everyone listening would like that too. Yeah. And even if we're 90% sure it's that, it would just be nice to know. But yeah. this, I think it, it's a high cost. Is all
0: to who? It, it, John. John. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Do you care?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do. actually. Well, He's they <laughs> gonna
1: be off the bike. They it's painful. He anesthesia. He'll be fine. Appreciate that, Chad. So I'll do it too. Because I'm the like I'm more by the book, so I should have. It'd be nice to see the difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, Crazy. <laughs> but the, this brings up a bigger point, though. Should Jonathan, if you so look, like, we've already we've demonstrated he has a high VO2 max, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he well, does well relatively, in, right. yeah. comparatively. It's, comparatively. It's pretty high for amateur. Yeah. For amateur, it's high. Yeah. Okay. So, and you've been you've done well on a national level on endurance events.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Should Jonathan? like, well, an option, if he has that r- good genetic base, but he's fast twitch, should he be more like An enduro stuff? racer. Or, or um, even like enduro. Sprinter. Yeah, because enduro sprinter is basically
0: sprints after sprints after sprints, yep. right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, enduro would be great if you want to stay in mountain I think that's bike. an aspect of his training that he could
3: exploit, but he's already doing what he does pretty well.
1: Well, th- that's what I'm saying though. So if, um, that's exactly what my point is. He's doing what he's doing pretty well with great genetics. Mm-hmm. What if he went towards his, like his, what his genetics want him to do? Then he could be great.
3: Yeah, I just think that makes it him limited in his in his range of
1: uh, events
3: and I mean is it that is that the sort of racing that interests you anyways? Is that yeah, what you want to do? You
0: know, that's the good point is I think a lot of people eventually face some type of a moment where they have to make a decision with this. They enjoy one type of riding, mm-hmm. but perhaps they recognize that they're not the best at that and they're better at a different format they may not enjoy. Mm-hmm. For me, I really enjoy cross country. It's kind of my it is my favorite type of riding because of the endurance aspect. I find that even though I may have more physiological, um, I guess, uh, tendencies or abilities towards something that would be a shorter, harder effort. Um, I'm, I'm able to wear people down and I'm able to do that. And usually that is honestly, if I'm honest, it's relying upon all those matches in the book type of a thing, you know, that I would have. But uh, the thing that I, I guess I, I think that I would do is really just be more selective about the type of cross country races I would do. Um, I don't think that I would be a sprinter on the road. I've all, I always do well in sprints and I'm you not never, a big guy You I never, never train. For no, that, right. No, I don't. Um, but I also don't have any ambition to go seek out races for sprints because I don't like to break myself and sprints are just dangerous. That's how it goes. You know, and some guys, that's exactly what they want to do. Right. And it works out for them and they're okay with the crashing and everything else. If, I've had so many head injuries that that terrifies me of getting any more. And then, you know, breaking collarbones or anything else like that, you broke yours, you're doing fine. It's giving me some confidence there, but I don't want to be out of work and training for, you know, if I break something that yeah. would hinder that. So because of that, I don't think I would tailor my road races very much based off of that. Um, I already stay away from really long flat ones,
1: but I, I didn't skip a day of work, so you don't need.
0: Yeah, to. you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes you break something else other than I'm the just collarbone joking, yeah. and it gets really bad. Right. So. Uh, but I guess that I wouldn't change my road racing events very much, uh, but the one thing that I would do is maybe I'd look at uh, XC events that give me an opportunity to exploit that type of, uh, um, that, that type of I guess, ability that I have. In other words, short, hard, repetitive efforts.
1: Still pretty aerobic. It is, though. Um, I, the- Enduro could be cool. You mix your aerobic and, like, really high power. Mm-hmm. I would just... I mean, if we had a velodrome here, it'd be really cool to see you track sprinting. Yeah. Or doing something in that kind of, cause you never, you've never we should, trained build, for we should that. build a trainer road velodrome. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of, <laughs> we'll just do sign that. up please <laughs> right now. Um, you're, uh, but I'm just saying like, yeah, it is fun too to, to cream everybody. It right? is. That is fun. Yeah. And I think you would be great at Enduro. Yeah. Like, yeah. And maybe, um, I'm going to, I'm going to call it here. Maybe in three or four years, when you get a little bit older and you've done some XC stuff and maybe you've plateaued on that, you might and you have like another Yeti 5.5 that you might yeah. get. Yeah. Um, You could do a little more enduro and. Yeah, I could see that. I like. Yeah. I like. I just like to see you try. Like, okay, I have a genetic potential to do this one thing, mm-hmm. and you actually try to follow the genetic potential. Or right now, you're doing the opposite of your genetic potential.
0: Right. Or not. Not, not the opposite, opposite, but you're. But
1: yeah. yeah. you're. You're. You're like if, doing half of it. Right. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally get that. It'll be interesting to see, and I, I don't you'd know— You'd be a great
1: basketball player if you were, like, tall 6'8 or something. Or do they six, need six. that type of a— uh, Well, a high VO2 max is common, and then fast twitch for jumping and sprinting and, and just reaction and stuff, you'd be great. That makes sense. Yeah, any team ball sport, really.
0: Yeah, maybe that's why I was a good skier, too. Or am a good skier.
1: I bet that for skiing, for sure.
0: Yep. yep. that makes sense. Anywho, let's get off of me and on to some of the questions that everybody has submitted this week. The first one is from Taylor. Uh, says, should I run a power meter on my single-speed mountain bike? Does it make sense to use it? I have an XTR Stages power meter, so that's just the one crank arm. And he says, I can easily move it from bike to bike.
1: Oh, uh, yes. Always makes sense. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't the single-speed have any...
0: So it's, I I understand his question because a lot of people, there's this kind of misunderstanding that it not kind of, it is a misunderstanding in the mountain bike world that power meters aren't as effective with mountain biking because you're constantly fluctuating because of the terrain and everything else.
3: You get tons of good information from a mountain bike. And in the case of a single speed, you'd get a lot of, uh, you could draw a lot of correlations between power output, cadence, and how hard you have to work for, for each of those combinations yep, Yep. or if you need to change gearing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly.
0: The myth of a power meter, not being helpful for a mountain bike. It's absolutely a myth. They are just as beneficial for that as they are for any other type of cycling.
1: What you're not going to do, just like in road races, you're not going to stare at it while you're training. No, it's a post thing. Um, you're going to be data collection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be monitoring your stress, right? The only time I don't think you need a power meter is on that, like that bike that I, I take my kids to the park on or something right. like that. Yeah. Like or I like have like a no, coffee shop bike. I I mean, yeah, look exactly.
0: at, look at the, so uh, the top, the Enduro world series, that's a, uh, for a, for a, format of mountain biking that is multiple stages. And that stage will be like a sprint and it'll be like two to five minutes, maybe even longer. Sometimes it'll be constant short sprints. Right. And the top guys, Jerry Graves, Richie root, everybody else, they all have stages, power meters on their bikes they all have them on there because they're collecting data for after that. And then also connecting in between when it isn't time, they want to keep their power low, but it's valuable even in the downhill side of things. Power meters are valuable. So I uh,
1: have something else I want to talk about that dovetails into this. Okay, cool. So I forgot to mention this, but I want to talk about on the podcast is I've had an insight to my training. I've talked to both you guys about this
2: mm-hmm.
1: to kind of be honest with myself. Um, and I want to share with all the podcast listeners. So cool. I've looked at my history of my TSS per week that I've done and I looked over the last year and I can do that through my train road account. And, um, I didn't do like, I hadn't been really consistent. I had some weeks where zero where I had to like travel international or something, but I'm looking at it right now. I really had only, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. In the last year, eight weeks over 300 TSS that's for indoor. And I said, well, the other weeks I probably was doing all outdoor, outdoor stuff, right? And that's why, and then it would have raised it up. And we didn't, previously we didn't have that, but we're building a new feature that brings in your outdoor um, power meter rides and adds that TSS. And I looked at that data and it was better, but it wasn't as consistent as I, I thought I wanted, wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And if I looked at when my FTP went up, it was when my TSS was consistent.
0: And, and just to cover really quick, 300 TSS weeks is not a massive week. So, and that just shows, I know that a lot of the time we beat ourselves up for missing a workout, we get down on that and then it'll end up screwing up things for the next coming, you know, for the coming week. But if you just have consistency to that level, even, you know, for Nate 300 TSS, because it's relative for each person, Mm -hmm. but that shows improvement. Even when you just do 300 TSS, right? It's just that purely structured work. It really does, you know, you get so much for that small amount of concentrated work.
1: Well, the, the insight that I, I saw was that when I hit those big weeks of like 400, or even I had a couple 500s, mm-hmm. I could at most, at most maintain that for one more week. But normally it would be like 400, and then it would be like a 250, and then a 100. Mm-hmm. And it would just, I, I can look, I'm looking at it right now. I have like, over the year, like four of those in a row, where I have a hmm. big week, and then the next week would be a little bit less, then a yeah. little bit less, mm-hmm. and then it would kind of start, and then it would ramp back up. And I know I, I get in this phase where I get pretty tired, and some of those weeks are before like um, travel,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I, I did it on purpose. But in general, I'm I'm gonna try to just. Like, uh, it's tough not to ride that wave. You're feeling good,
3: you're handling more stress each week, and you think, Well, next week I'm going to try for even more stress and even mm -hmm. more stress, and you're reaching
1: a point where you start to go backwards. And And I, the people here, too, like a lot of people here can handle more stress than me. I can handle a lot. Dave Christensen's one comparison is so very dangerous, exactly. And then we had that other, um, somebody, a listener, uh, email in about like her power to weight and stuff, and Mm -hmm. I listened to like pete morris he's like 800 tss weeks dave christensen he's doing seven 800 um you guys are both doing a lot so uh, being realistic about looking back on my training and i hope everyone can do this and look back on their training i'm going to just try to shoot for 300 tss and be consistent for six eight weeks Mm -hmm. and see how my body responds and not get into that kind of where I drop off could for just, a week, you could just bracket it like three hundred to three fifty. So just step up over the course of that time. And you not... know what? No, I, I've never. I've my body hasn't taken looking at this. It did it once in January, and my FTP did go up. Where I did, I did two five hundreds, just about a three hundred, and then a like a four hundred. Um, and then it dropped off to a 200 and then I had Isra man. So right before that, and my FTP went up and I did, I was fit for that period. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I haven't been consistent. And what happens mm-hmm. is I don't want to, I want to be consistent first before I raise it up. Sure. You know what I mean? Yep. Cause that still is more stress on my body, right? Mm-hmm. Six weeks of 300 is better than a 400, a 300, a 200 and a 100. Mm-hmm. And you, then, know, it's, you know I what was, I mean? Agreed. Yeah.
0: I was answering some, uh, some coaching questions for some people this week. And a number of people had questions along these lines. I'm really glad you brought this up, Nate, but a lot of them had questions on the type of changes that they'll, they'll do when they feel like they can take on more training that week or do anything else like that. And, Every person had gotten into a situation where they felt like they, it was easy. Let's just use 300 TSS for an example. It felt easy to them mm-hmm. to do that much TSS. So they wanted to add on more. And then a few weeks down the road, they found themselves in kind of a hole of fatigue, so to speak. And then digging yourself out of that hole is really tough. Mm-hmm. And I, I brought up something that we talked about last time, which is if you're, you know, the, I guess this is the beauty of following a training plan to me. A well-made training plan is the fact that when it's set out in front of me, one like from made by Mr. Chad Timmerman over there, but one and it's laid out in front of me. If I stick to that, I don't have to question anything else. As long as I know that my body can take that stress level. Mm -hmm. And if I stick to that and sure, it may feel easy one week, it may feel easy another, but it does trend upward. And with time, I will feel uh, it. Even
3: with what Nate's saying and that level of consistency, if I, again, harken back to the days of my bike classes, the early the early couple of years of sweet spot plans that were 12 weeks in total didn't really ramp TSS. They just okay. got people on a really consistent workout schedule and every one of those people improved. Mm-hmm. So we weren't, you know, watching ramp rates. We weren't really watching TSS. I just had workouts that were, you know, right between 85, 90 TSS per hour long workout. And we just did those steadily three times a week for six weeks, then another six weeks. And people got faster over the course of that entire three Consistency
0: months. Consistency is key.
1: John, and that little counterpoint to what you said too is mm-hmm. as you get more experienced and you... Understand your body more. You can tweak the plans. You can, right? Absolutely, yes, you can. yeah. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm actually doing sweet spot based low volume, and I'm throwing in endurance rides. I think I said this last time. I'm doing a, um, uh, like a, pretty intense ride, and then endurance ride, and then a day off. Pretty intense endurance day off. Mm-hmm. And with that, I can hit 300 TSS a week, mm-hmm. just on that like two days on, one day off phase feeling pretty good so far, mm-hmm. probably because I'm taping my mouth shut at night. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what but, it is. But that and the cherry juice. It, it'll be, I'm actually drinking cherry juice right now. <laughs> Jen and I are drinking tart cherry juice and sugar-free red bull, which is so good. there's some like nuclear reaction going on
3: in our body. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's
3: going to rip maybe some be our last podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the,
0: the one thing that, that I would like to just add to this too is um, remember, and we've said this a lot, but not all TSS is created equal, meaning that mm-hmm. if you go out, so for example, a few weeks ago I had a 380 TSS ride that wouldn't be a direct replacement for a 380 TSS week you know that's a very different ball game and I'm putting myself through a lot of stress in one day in that case it was too much right I
1: also have this other like healing the bone right so yes um, right now 300 feels good and maybe in two months it's Maybe it's going to be 350 that feels good.
0: And
3: you're or, only tracking stress on the bike, too. I mean, you're a CEO of a company that employs, you know, 50 some odd
1: people. You There's guys stress a, me out. A whole lot of stress. <laughs> <because> of <that. laughs> just yeah. kidding. You There's guys a great. lot of stress. Um,
0: <laughs> Thanks, Nate. <laughs>
1: but so what I think I'm going to do, too, is I'm going to keep that 300. And then when it starts feeling easier, just I'm going to either retest or raise my FTP mm. or do it if, or that or six weeks, whatever comes first, rather than saying I'm just going to keep upping it. I'm going to tr- try it that way and see how I respond. Give it a shot. Yeah, and yeah I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to, based on my training history, I think it's going to be, I hope it's going to be good.
0: And just to make and it... This is, in- oh, this sorry. This can
1: kind of uh I don't know what was that last question with from Taylor. I mean
3: this yeah. is why this is why you accumulate that data. You may not use it in the moment. You may not even use it close to that moment, but in Nate's case he's looking back over, you know, the last couple of years worth of data mm-hmm. and
1: drawing conclusions from that and tailoring his training based on it. And yeah. one thing I know for sure is if I do a huge week, I can't maintain I can't maintain it.
0: It's hard for you to do it. Yep. And just to make sure nobody feels like left out in the cold, I'm following the, the bread and butter following the training plan to a T thing right now. Uh, you're the fastest. The only thing, (laughs) (laughs) but the only thing I'm doing is I'm adjusting, um, or I'm, I'm adding in my, my weekend rides where possible. Uh, you know, we've got a crazy storm coming on, so that won't be happening this weekend, but, where possible. I add on my weekend rides and they certainly aren't anything too intense or anything else. It's just, um, you know, getting time on the mountain bike. Are you trying to match so. TSS or are you just riding? Um, so I usually match TSS with my indoor workouts, that parts checked. And then these ones that I'm riding outside, the goal is not TSS. And I actually don't accrue a whole lot. It's a lot of coasting time. I'm on the mountain bike and it's really just working on skills. Uh, that's really my main focus on it. So um, and honest, a lot of it too, is, uh, when you spend some time, the mountain bike specifically, but TT bike is another great example of this road bike, some too, but when you get back on the horse after not spending a lot of the time, a lot of time, you know, in that aero position or on that mountain bike, you need some time to get the strength back up in your body too. It feels weird. Yeah. And you know, neck pain, back pain, that type of stuff starts to come in when the rest of your core is really weak on a mountain bike. I've actually
1: so. noticed you in our gym. Yeah. What have you been doing in there?
0: Uh, actually, that's not you usually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been doing so. I do five sets of pull-ups, and I do ten pull-ups each set. And then after that, uh, I do renegades. Uh, so basic, but an alteration uh, somewhat. What so are
3: renegades just dumbbell push-ups. Do a push-up and then. Draw the dumbbell past So you're doing a one arm row and then a one arm row, then another push up.
0: Yep. So I'm, my hands aren't on the floor. Pretty functional dumbbells. position
3: in terms of cycling.
0: Yep. And then basically I go down and do my push up. And then when I come back up, then I lift one of those dumbbells up and I bring it up almost to shoulder level. A lot of people don't do that. They just bring it up lower. And then I also don't have my arms. A lot of people also do them so that their arms are, um, or their hands, if you were holding a stick, mm-hmm. the sticks Neutral would be grip. pointing parallel to your body. And I'm holding it like handlebars too. Um, that's not, that's just, necess- I'm just thinking, makes sense. I well get more bike. specific. Right. Uh, and those really, as much as they are, they're certainly, you know, they work your arms, work your chest, work your back, but they really work your back and core. It's a huge core workout. So trunk
1: exercise. Yep,
0: yeah, And it's really effective with that. So I've been doing those lately and then doing some, some ab work on the GHD as well. So, uh, um,
1: GHD is the
0: yeah, you sit on... It's, it's the
1: glute ham developer. That's what it
0: Yeah, Yeah, yeah you yeah. sit on the thing, put your feet, it locks it in, so then you can really get some range of motion. So doing you can do back sit-ups. extensions and and uh,
3: basically sit-ups, full-range sit-ups.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. Spinal flexion. To work with that stuff. So uh, Nathan's question, he says... Great name. <laughs> Hi, guys. Love the app. Uh, love the podcast, five stars all around. Thanks for doing that. And you can leave five-star reviews too, people, if you're listening to this. Uh, he says... I have an XCO race, which if you don't know XCO, that means cross country Olympic, which is the typical cross country race these days. That means that it's a short loop and, uh, you will repeat that multiple times for anywhere from usually somewhere from 60 to 120 minutes. That's usually what XCO is. Uh, he says it's in six weeks times and the course will have short, steep climbs and a bit of twisty single track with many dead stop starts. Um, and as, have I've, and as ever, I've left everything to the last minute. So dead stop starts. I assume he's probably talking about like sections where you might descend really steeply, then have to turn and then climb back up or anything technical that requires you to just start from zero. That sounds hard. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, He says, my question revolves around uh, weight and power and making myself as quick as possible on race day. At the moment, I'm about 4.6 watts per kilogram. I've previously had a higher FTP, but have also been a few kilograms lighter. I know in an ideal world, I'd have lost the weight already and be concentrating on the engine, but such is life. Do I try and lose the extra few kilograms or do I concentrate on conditioning the engine? And so probably eating a bit more to get the quality in the sessions. As it stands, I'm trying to do both with the eat when you need to strategy leading up to sessions and then being hungry to bed, et cetera. Is it better to concentrate on one rather than the other of the two guessing engine is more important or is my current strategy of both? Okay. Many thanks. Nathan judge from England.
3: So I'd say two questions, Nathan. First, how important is this event coming, coming up? Um, cause if it's not that important, you can maybe shift your emphasis a little more toward weight loss and not worry so much about performance improvements. But the more important question is, how is this working so far? If, if what you're doing right now is yielding a little bit of weight loss and you're actually improving, then I wouldn't change a thing. If you're noticing that maybe your uh, FTP is stagnating, your performance is stagnating, and going to bed hungry isn't uh, you know, serving the next workout very well, obviously that's something that, again, <clears throat> would need to be addressed, but uh, based on just how important this upcoming event is, I will say that balancing weight loss and performance improvement at the same time is a really delicate balance and a tough one to get right.
0: Mm. Yeah. I concur. Uh, the, I I've always found, and honestly some interesting, some interesting insights from this, uh, even so I've found it easy to, and this is, this is bad, but easy to lose weight a lot of the time in the specialty phase. And I, because of that, but it's a lot of the time it's because I'm pretty worn down. I'm getting to the point where I'm getting close to a peak. I'm kind of at that fine edge. You know what I mean? And if, and it's easy for me to start losing weight and to do that type of a thing, but I've never had good results with trying to cut weight as I lead up, lead up to my peak. It do, it just does, it gives me so little bit be- of benefit compared to making sure I'm fueled properly for my workouts, a, recovered well. It's a
3: difficult thing to do. And normally in this case, I would say, don't even worry about the weight loss, Nathan, but I'm actually employing the same approach that you are and just going to bed hungry after some harder workouts. And so far, so good. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is the way for everybody to go. I'm not even saying it's the way for me to go, but so far weight's coming off and my FTP's still on the rise. So I'm not gonna, I'm gonna knock it just yet. Right. But also you're fat
1: and you're weak. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> relatively. Yeah. Yeah. Prepared, I mean, you're yeah. relatively heavier than your peak and you're relatively less fit than your peak. He
0: still looks like a men's so, fitness I mean, guy over yeah. here. So, uh,
1: well, yes, but yeah. that does not look <laughs> like on. a cyclist. Yeah. Yeah. It's true.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Good point. He <laughs> they never put cyclists. In he the, doesn't look on, like Froome <laughs> on the uh, cover of men's health or Could men's you imagine fitness. That? <laughs> yeah. Tiny little upper body on the cover. That would be funny. Um, next question is from Gentrit and I hope that's how you say your name. I apologize if not. He says hi. I just want to ask you about eating while racing. Uh, when to eat uh, before the races, and when racing is, or and then how that changes when a race is a climbing race or a flat race. Uh, I guess let's start off with what we eat the day of a race. Let's assume the race is in the morning. Uh, what does your morning routine look like?
1: Okay, I'll start because you guys yeah. are looking at me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've, I've I've talked about it before, but oatmeal. I like that, so I do a lot of oatmeal. Um,
0: why is oatmeal good? Just for to get extra carbs. Yeah, yeah, and also, is it, it's, it's more uh, instead of it's having a lower Cheerios. lower Yeah, yep. instead of having Cheerios or something, it's going to stick. So give I do that for a, for a, a longer. longer
1: period of time, mm-hmm. and I have coffee, and that will be probably it for me. Okay. Um, but honestly, I can eat probably anything, but I just do that because it's, it's easy to carry and easy to get wherever you go. And easy to digest. Yeah.
0: How, how do you time that in relation to your race?
1: It's you about three hours. Okay. Yeah, but I've even been known to eat a Jack in the Box steak and egg burrito yeah. on the way down to a California race. I've eaten donuts. and get second place and like mm-hmm. it's fine. It's like I don't know. I don't have a of all my things I do not have a weak stomach
0: right so yeah you have an iron gut
1: that is my Marvel superhero yeah I can get away with
3: just about anything prior to a race as long as it's a few hours before the race starts and then it's just a matter of maintaining while on the bike based on the duration of the event so I mean if it's a three hour event I know I'm going to be eating during the race if it's a one hour crit I know I just need to be loaded up prior to but uh pretty much anything.
0: Yeah. If it's breakfast, I'm usually a little closer to the race. I'll be, you know, two to two and a half hours, somewhere around there. Uh, if it's lunch or anything else, I try to leave around three hours. And that usually I think is due to what I'm eating. Mm. Cause for breakfast I'll have oatmeal, I'll have a couple scrambled eggs and that'll more or less be it. I'll have a banana, uh, that type of stuff. I can, you know, it, I can process pretty quick, roll through that. But if it's lunch and I'm having some type of meat or something else that takes a little longer to break down, it seems like, and this is just N equals one, what I've found in terms of my my stomach freaking, my my fussy stomach freaking out on me or not. I've always had to leave a little bit more time later on, but I always do oatmeal. And with that oatmeal, I have honey in there. And then I might throw in some almonds or some type of nut like that, but it's pretty simple. Yeah,
3: really, you could just, your go-to um, edible or food, item can be oatmeal. Pretty much every time. And just, just how uh, refined those oatmeals are, depending on you know if you get the, what do you
1: usually have the stuff that- I just have like the Quaker rolled oats, but if you get instant, it's a higher glycemic <clears throat> index and then steel exactly. cut is a little bit lower. So if
3: you're an hour out, maybe you use the, the higher glycemic. If you're two hours out or three hours out, maybe use the stuff you prepared the night before and soaked in cold water all night and metabolizes yeah. more slowly. But that's one food that can actually work in a lot of instances.
0: It's really helpful.
1: And then on the bike, I've, I've never done a bike race long enough where I've had to eat really, um, I'm trying to think.
0: Other than well, tri- triathlon. triathlon's
1: not a bike race. Yeah, triathlons yeah. are way different, right? Because
0: I was just going to ask, does that change what you eat uh, leading up to a triathlon? Nope, like the same thing. The jarring of running or anything else like nope, that.
1: No, and you start swimming too. I know yeah. um, Chrissy Wellington, who's probably one of the she is one of the best triathletes of all time. Yeah, she would eat uh, like half an English muffin or maybe a full English muffin with a little bit of peanut butter on it. And That's it. Yeah. and she would go. It, when Iron Kona. if, you're, if your glycogen stores are loaded up, if you've been eating well up into the event,
3: you had a good dinner the night before, you can go into a race on an empty stomach as long as you start eating. You
1: yeah,
0: know, it's probably not the best. Yeah, thing to do, but you could.
1: And she's yeah. going to be eating. So she did the swim, and then when I would be on the bike, just like Matt Lieto, three to four hundred calories an hour on the bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just actually we just talked to Brandon Need as a pro triathlete here. He was having problems in the run, getting like running out of
0: energy. Kind of yes. yeah,
1: energy and. He needs to eat more on the bike, and we were trying to figure out ways for him to do more. One product called Carbopro, to get like a 1,000-calorie bottle, he might try. But so he just
3: needs higher calorie density? He's not, is it because he can't carry as many bottles? He is, just doesn't
1: eat. He's uh, <laughs> like, I don't know what to do <laughs> well, with it. Well, if you avoid food. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of, it's that's a, that's one product, too, to think about is Carbopro, which is it's like a. Um, they say it's a low-glycemic index or glycemic index carb. It's made out of mm-hmm. corn mm-hmm. and you can put it in a bottle. I think it's what a maltodextrin or something, but they say they do something special to it. I don't know. You yeah. could probably just buy it in bulk, but you can mix it into a bottle and get a thousand calorie bottle. That's not super thick and kind of, you know, like sludgy. It's a lot of super calories. Calorie dense though. Yeah. So you just have a, a bottle though and drink that. That's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Other times people do gels and stuff during race. Um, those like those little like rice cakes that you do, Jonathan. Yeah, it's kind of hard to eat during a race, oh, like especially in a pack.
0: If you're in a road race that's really long, and that road race is going to have lulls where you can—and I say lull—it's still going to be pretty fast. That's the only time I'd be able to eat that during a race. Isn't that um, pretty dry, though? No, they're they're down. really moist, and oh. and they they stick together well if you make them right. You just have oh, to okay. make the rice right, especially. But they they can work well. But if you are hustling, try choking down a rice cake. That anything, ain't going to work. Anything.
3: It's, it's got to be so gel. Blocks are liquid,
0: yeah, Yeah. and mountain biking, absolutely not. Like bouncing around trying to make sure your ice cake isn't falling out of your Mm -hmm. hand is really tough.
1: That's where a bottle helps if you have two bottles,
0: yeah. You know, Um, one thing I've done with this, uh, for this was uh, national championships two years ago. I had uh, two bottles, uh, two bottle cages on the bike. I had, and then I took feeds from my wife in the feed zone of just getting water. Uh, and I had a little bit of scratch in there, but uh, just getting water from her. My other bottle, it sat the vertical bottle there. That one just stayed in my bike the whole time. And what I actually did was, once again, fussy stomach, I uh, searching through a lot of things that didn't screw up my stomach. I found chia seed gel uh it does is not calorie dense that's the downside to to chia seed gel it's pretty light like you can get like the baby food size packets mm-hmm. and it's like 66 calories it's really not a lot but what i did with that is i could fit in 3 of those almost 4 into a bottle and then I watered it down a bit so I could squeeze it out. And then I had that bottle that was really easy to take, uh, for me to, to ride. Cause I've tried, I haven't tried a lot of calorie mix, like calorie dense mixes before, but most of them tended to mess up my stomach, but chia seed gel didn't. And that actually helped really well on keeping my energy levels up. I ended up going through the whole bottle. So I ended up going through, it was a two hour race and I went through geez, uh, so I went through around 250, 300 calories in that ride with that. And it was, I was probably a little depleted at the end, but it was enough to keep me.
1: Yeah, going. I mean, you, two hours is right at that time where you yeah. You, yeah. you might or might not need something. Yeah. Another thing that I liked during Iserman was I put, um, I'd open Honey Stinger waffles and I'd break them in like quarters and I'd mm. put them in one pocket. Then the other pocket would have um, some uh, Honey Stinger chews mm-hmm. and yeah. those were open, so I, both of them were not in the package. They got a little bit of sweat, but it was funny. Yes, uh, when you're when you're into a race, you don't give you don't care about stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> well, you're you gonna really sweat don't. into your mouth all the
3: time, right? Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. that's the same thing I used to do: is load my pockets up for for long road races. Load my pockets
1: up with gel blocks. They wouldn't yeah. be packaged.
3: I just have to reach yeah. back there, grab
1: a block, grab two, pop quick. it in my cheek, yeah. and just keep on. You quick. have to open it. And then on man, it was nice because like the gels or the on the chews. I'd like, okay, I'm gonna dissolve this one because it's a long race, mm-hmm. so yeah. I'm gonna chew it this way. And it's kind of like, how am I gonna enter- entertain myself eating right. this one <laughs> <Yeah>. chew? <laughs> it's amazing when you think about stuff,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of different things. I, I wouldn't see it changing for a flat or climbing race. I would never change that. Um, I, I think that the only thing that really the, the pace or the duration or anything else is what's really going to change how yeah, I feel. If you know
3: it's going to be a, a hot and heavy pace the whole mm-hmm. time, then bottles, as many bottles as possible. Gels, if you can tolerate that stuff. I yeah. personally can't. And then the gel blocks, I mean, even if you can't chew them, like I said, you can just stick them between your cheek and gum or under your tongue or something, just let them slowly dissolve.
0: One gel-ish product that doesn't screw up my stomach is one made by a company called Glucose. It's G-L-U-K-O-S. And uh, it's it tastes good, and I think it isn't that calorie-dense, But um, and most people I see, like the triathletes, they carry like a whole box of those things with them, you know, but... Those things don't mess up my stomach, so I have used those uh, before too.
3: Have you ever on a long, like a long cross country course that doesn't
0: have feed station, stash bottles on the course? Uh, yeah, that's a t- that's a tactic that yeah. um, I've used only once, but it absolutely is the case. I'm, I'm usually lucky enough to have a person that is able to get to one spot and have a bottle for me. But yeah, it's it's a it's a. It's a tactic for sure.
1: I've used Hammer Nutrition's Perpetuum, yeah. which I didn't like the taste at all. Oh, it's yeah. But uh, yeah, it tastes like kind of like if you blended Cheerios. This is years ago, but if you yeah. blended Cheerios and kind of exactly. added some that's glue exactly. to it.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but if you. Uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yummy. But it, it, great. I made it, um, if, you, if you can make it thin enough, that's another one. Just in the bottle is so much easier. So, if, I mean,. I didn't do it on Iserman because I knew I wasn't going to be going so hard. But if you're going to be going hard, I think the rule of thumb is if you can handle something out of a bottle, it's much easier. Oh, yeah. And it's easier to carry many calories in a bottle than
0: right. don't be the
1: triathlete that has like 12 gels taped to their top tube. Yeah. You could put all those gels in a bottle. Yes. Put some water to it and drink it.
0: And one thing that I want to say before we get off of this one on the shot blocks or any type of little chews that you have do not lick and stick don't lick them and put them onto your frame because I see that. that a lot a lot of people like lick them and then stick them onto the frame and they stay there and they can just pull them off their top too that is gross it seems is, really it's like it's not arrow. convenient it's not arrow <laughs> it's pretty gross but then the worst part about it is that sugar then when it sticks to that it does harm your clear coat and it does screw things up I talked to um uh, the head factory mechanic. It specialized about that. And he said that a lot of their triathletes are doing it for a while. And he said that when he washed the bike, you could feel the clear coat wearing away over time. And then it'd be gone. It'd be like raw carbon later.
1: The worst part is you're not arrow.
0: Yeah. 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 So yeah, if your frame breaks, don't worry, but you're not, that's the important thing. Uh, let's go into John's question. He says, Hey guys, it's an emergency and I need your help. Yikes. If it's an emergency, uh, we're probably a little late. (laughs) He says my training and racing, has taken a terrible turn and I need advice as soon as possible. I've been following the high volume from the start and this week I am supposed to start the second half of my general build. The problem is as a welder, I'm starting a minimum of four weeks of 12 hour days with no days off. What can I do to not lose this fitness? Uh, do we want to cover that or keep going? Chad probably keep going through. Yeah. Keep on. Okay. He says, uh, I've managed to get up over 4.15 Watts per kilogram and was hoping to get closer to five in time for my state championship road race in mid June. I'm willing to wake up as early as 3:30 in the morning to ride, but I don't think I can get in those two hour rides, take a shower and get to work by seven without totally burning myself out for, after a week or two. I would p- assume that's probably the case. That'd be pretty rough for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, uh, Please answer. Your word is gospel and anything will help ease my worries. If I decide this is going to be too much after a couple weeks and scrap my road season, what should I do to just maintain fitness before I start the hard charge towards my Northeast cyclocross season?
3: First off, John, you don't need to be doing anything in the ballpark of two hours. Single hour long workouts with proper intensity is enough. Um, I would kiss your wish for a five watts per kilogram um, by June. Goodbye, considering what you have ahead of you. Um, Holding on to your 4.15 or something close to that is probably all the best you can hope for considering how rigorous your work schedule sounds. And I'm guessing the type of work you're doing is pretty draining too. So you're not gonna have a whole lot to give to the bike. But the good news is it doesn't take, I've said this many times, it doesn't take much to maintain fitness you've built. So if you're concerned with holding on to like VO2 max power, single workout a week, anaerobic power, single workout a week, threshold power, muscular endurance, single workout a week. And none of those have to be longer than an hour. So like VO2 max would be like maybe a five by two or a four by three sort of affair. Anaerobic repeats can be just a handful of them, you know, six, seven of those. Same with sprints, if that's a concern, and then threshold, you know, like a two by twenty or a four by ten or something like that. But a single workout a week, and each of those, you know, whichever those are, are most important, pick two, maybe three of them, um, and then go from there. Okay, so I think you should do sweet spot
1: based low volume two.
0: I was going to say a low mm-hmm. volume. Oh yeah, plan. as far
1: as a plan, there's yep, that's there's a good one. three workouts a week. There's a ninety on there's one ninety. If you can't do that, you could either. Um, Find a sixty-minute, yeah. Find a sixty-minute or duplicate the Thursday sixty, mm. but that's got a VO two max, a threshold, and the weekend is a sweet spot. Mm. And then, and then it gets a little bit as you get further in; it, it does a little bit more um, uh, threshold on it. But that I think for someone who's coming from high volume, that could be a good maintenance plan. Yeah. And for me, that's just a good plan in general. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So, yeah. Uh, I, two to three days a week is solid maintenance.
3: You can do quite a lot. You'd be surprised.
0: The one thing I have in mind with this too, and like you mentioned this, Chad, your work is going to be really tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one thing I wouldn't do as well is put, put yourself in a situation where you're panicked about, um, you know, if you miss a workout, I would err on the side of recovery and, and and just not stress yourself out over it too much if this block of really intense work is going on. Because... If you, uh, you know, if you're exhausted and you get back late and you have to be up early and you start getting into a where you're still doing your workouts, but you're wearing yourself thin, even a low volume plan. If you're used to more, even a low volume plan can really, if you're not offsetting it with the right amount of rest, it can put you in a hole. So yeah. Um, and then as far as building up into cross season after this, so uh, we've kind of, we've kind of, well, we've come to the conclusion that getting to five watts per kilogram is going to be really tough by June. Mm -hmm. Uh, but especially because the closer you get to five, the harder every little bit is to gain there, but getting into cross season, if you're doing sweet spot base right now, and then you go into a build plan, you could be ready to fire for early cross season. Mm -hmm. You could also, you know, do a build and then kind of reset and go back through and rebuild.
3: Yeah. Uh, Considering your situation, I'd, I'd, pin my hopes to cycle cross season more so than that state championship.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Would. And you could come out firing there in the Northeast pretty early on too. Um, which could be pretty cool. If your races are later in the year, you have plenty of options. And we even have a blog post. You can look at blog.trainroad.com and we have blog posts about how to adjust your season, how to change, you know, train for multiple peaks. And there are a lot of principles in those ones that can really help out on how to structure it all. So. Uh, Alex says, should I feel ashamed for having a favored criterium course? I'm lucky enough to live in a city where there are five circuits in easy reach. I always do well at one in particular, which features a 12% hill, which induces a 20 to 30 second effort. And that's each lap. He says, I always race well here, but will I be foregoing the opportunity to be a more well-rounded racer if I stick to one course all season?
3: Yes, but how important is that to you? I mean, if you like this particular course, you like doing well on it, and it makes your day, makes your week. Then I don't see anything wrong with it. If you want to be a more versatile rider, then favoring one course and only practicing being good at that one course is going to be a hindrance. But again, it depends what you're after. I wouldn't be ashamed. In in any case, I wouldn't be ashamed. If you're good on a course, you're good on a
1: course. It it, it suits your strengths, right? Mm -hmm. There's plenty of people that I I, I don't feel ashamed. Like there's uh, people who skip the hill road race in Reno mm-hmm. and because only they do the not flat crit. Yep, yeah. They only do the flat crit no and one no one goes, Oh, that guy's not a real cyclist. They just go, he's a crit monster. Exactly. Right.
0: Exactly. He's just, pick, he's just picking yeah. his races. And
1: there's the opposite too. guys who just do the hill race and not the crit because they can't, they yeah. don't have the power for the power on the flats. Mm-hmm.
0: And there's certainly not anything wrong with doing all of those either.
1: But if you want to claim to be a
3: well-rounded rider, a, a good all-rounder and you're chasing things like stage races and, 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 and the like, then yeah, you've, you've, you're going to be, you're going to draw criticism for sticking to one type of course.
0: Right. The one thing that I would say is it sounds like this one has a 12% hill with a 20 to 30 second, 30, 20 to 30 second effort that would drop off some heavy, big guys, uh, or that would make it more or difficult for them guys. potentially or less powerful guys. Uh, that could, that could drop them back. So one thing I would look at if you are afraid of, you know, putting yourself into a hole with just one course look at the actual physical demands of that and why you're good at that course and then see if there, maybe there are some shorter road races or specific road races where you might do better. Or even,
3: even on a flatter course, you can apply the same sort of tactic and that mm. you go full gas for 20 to 30 seconds and, and just try to rattle people's,
0: sh-
3: shake
1: things up. Yep.
0: That's a good point. Add in your own 20 to 30 second hard effort like that.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, you know? This goes back to what I talked about in the Pete Morris podcast is that some people say that they're one thing and they don't realize that they're not just that one thing until they go into other stuff. So Jonathan, Jonathan's a aerobic long term. He's done this thing called an efforts ride. I don't know if you've heard yeah, yet. His, yeah. he's got a high proportion of fast, which he doesn't even know. He has never tried like some of that other stuff, which I'm trying to get him to right. do. Pete Morris thought he was a sprinter. And I remember he'd always tell me I'm sprinter, a sprinter. And if you look now, at him, he's not.
0: And first of all, if you look at Pete, you think that dude's a sprinter, yep. right? He just looks like a, he's a muscly dude, big dude. And now he's like, I'm not a sprinter at all. <laughs> right. Cause he showed up with all the, you know, the top guys in the NRC and it's just a different ball game. And he was a good
1: sprinter at a lower level going against lower sprinters because just as yep. going back to Jonathan, just as you are a good aerobic racer against lower level aerobic racers, yep. um, yeah. I mean, they're not low. They're right. upper, the upper yeah, end of the amateur.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, and he had big power too. So by the end of end of a race, he would have a little little more left in yes. order to, to to chase a sprint. It wouldn't be a particularly powerful sprint, but compared to everyone else he was sprinting
1: against, yeah. he had the the biggest watts. Just don't limit yourself until you do a muscle biopsy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the lesson we're getting. That's the to. moral of this story. Yeah, and on the twelve percent hill too. Think of uh, road races that might have because if you're hitting this every lap think of road races that have frequent little Hills or undulations in them or anything like that crosswind days
1: or just attack relentlessly until people give up. I have a better idea. Yeah. Be a mountain bike racer.
0: (laughs) That's right. Yeah. This could be awesome. And chances are, I mean, I've, I've rarely, I've rarely come across road racers that other than, you know, their first ride, it might be a little scary, but I've rarely come across a road racer that started mountain biking that doesn't really enjoy it too. Like with time you get more comfortable on it. You just have a blast. So that could be fun too. And, you know, if you're in an area like, uh, especially somewhere, I don't know, Alex, if you are, but if you were in a place, I'm thinking LA has, I know of, five circuits within reach, but like Southern California, for example, if you're a crit monster, every mountain bike race in that area is just right in your wheelhouse. It's not like up here. We have pretty long sustained climbs, a little different, uh, down there. It's a lot of short, hard punchy stuff. So that's what you'd be looking for. Uh, Vincent, he says, hi guys. Thanks for the great podcast It's really appreciated. Also a big thank you to trainer road. It is my first winter on it and I see a great improvement in my fitness level. Looking forward to seeing the results outside when the snow is all gone and roads are cleared from most of the dirt in Montreal. I train only to be stronger on the bike and enjoy my summer season. I do not train for any particular race or event. So what should my, what uh, should be my approach for training? I'm almost done with the sustained power mid sustained power build mid volume plan. And he says that I heard you say in another podcast that it is a really challenging program mentally with these long intervals. And I agree with you. Yeah. I think probably everybody doing that workout or that training plan agrees with you there. He says, since I'm almost ready to ride outside, should I try to pick any, any specialty phase or should I just enjoy riding outside or go back to the training, uh, starting with base at the end of the summer? Thanks. Um, so he's just trying to maintain fitness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really oh, we've talked cool. about
1: this before. And I think personally, I, I would go into specialty and just pick something that looks enjoyable to you. And it sounds like the long intervals aren't. So maybe short power build mm-hmm. and do something completely different. And I would I mean, still go right outside. Cause that's why the reason why you train is to ride outside. But, um, you, you can emulate those workouts outside or you can, uh, you know, just do the the kind of split that we like. Two days in, you
3: can do your weekends outside. Really, three with, days in. With any any of the specialty plans, if you find one that kind of suits what you want to improve or just anything that that's interesting to you, yeah, um, just a couple days a week. I mean, I would maintain probably, it depends what days you want to ride outside, but if you can keep a couple of your workouts indoors, get the quality and then thoroughly enjoy what you do outdoors, not even have to worry about making them workouts necessarily.
0: Yeah. Do not drop the indoor stuff. Uh, every, like we see this all the time, especially when it comes around to summer and fall, people say, I was so diligent. And then now that this is hit, I know I'm, I'm falling off again. And it's, it really does. If you can just keep a couple, uh, you know, a few things, follow a low volume plan, whatever else you want.
1: Okay. So this, this hurts me to say this cuz the co-founder and CEO of TrainerRoad mm-hmm. but if your goals aren't to get faster yeah. and you just want to ride around with friends mm-hmm you don't need, you can skip it. And you're not, if he's, he's not racing, he has no no desire to get faster. Yeah. Your fitness falls
3: off a little bit. Big deal. So you're enjoying yourself. And then when it does, (laughs) yeah. yeah, Okay. So it does. And then it starts to become a concern. Then you head back indoors and you start getting your quality on the trainer.
0: And here's, let's be real for a second. Let's get really real. (laughs) All of us are red blooded males in this room and we're all, and I'm sure, you know, male, female, we're all type a athletes, right? none of us like to get dropped by our friends when we ride outside. None of us like that. It's a good point. And, a good point. <laughs> and I know that, you know, we can let things drop down, but nobody really likes that. So the th- I guess my point is it doesn't take a whole lot to have two structured, short sessions, three structured, structured, short sessions. That's a hard one to say, but if you do that, I guarantee you you're going to be able to at least maintain. But in most cases, a lot of people see improvements.
1: So. that's a really good point. And how good does it feel? That- Maybe you guys don't have this, but how feels it how good does it feel when you haven't seen a guy for a while and you go out <laughs> yes. on a climb and you've been training and maybe they haven't been doing your structure training like you have, and on that climb, like they're huffing and puffing or they drop off and you it's easy
0: for you. You walk by and carry a, co- feels a comfortable conversation with them. Yeah. That's mouth. one of the,
1: the big things that people, yeah. I like yeah. to talk to them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go over and really get, get that conversation going. They'll love yeah. it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it feels, it feels good though. Yeah. And, uh, it does. yeah, it feels really good. And it, being the other guy doesn't feel as good.
0: No. And, and I think that that's why you're the type of person that picked a training plan in the first place. You're, you're the type of person that's willing to put in work to, yeah, to do it. And just
3: because you don't compete doesn't mean you don't want to be fast. So yeah,
0: True. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would be, that would be my advice there. And all, another thing on that, it always feels good when guys come out firing, you know, early in the season, they may be faster than you, but you just stick to that plan all the way through. And then, you know, they have a one month season, you have a seven month season. It's just awesome. So Mitch says I'm a triathlete that generally finishes in the top third of my age group. My weakest discipline is my swim. That that would be like me if I was to do triathlon. (laughs) Uh, he says my last age group race results from South beach triathlon were overall 20 out of 69 his swim. He finished 39th in that group. His bike was 18th though. And his run was 22nd. The race before it was the Los Olas Triathlon was very similar. At tenth out of thirty-one overall, his swim was nineteenth, his bike was eleventh, and his run was eleventh. He says, "I should also mention that in each of these races, I lost to my cousin and athletic oh. rival. Oh, despite no. be- <laughs> despite beating no. him the in dreaded both- rival, <laughs> yeah. despite beating him in both the bike and run on both. My question is, should I dedicate more training to swimming?" or continue to focus more on the bike. I'd seen great improvements in my bike since using trainer road and then took off a few months to focus on marathon or his running side of things. Now that I'm back, I don't want to lose momentum, but I feel like swimming is going from a weakness to a race limiter. Thanks for your help. May you get all the stars of your wildest dreams.
1: Yep. You're never going to be a super fast triathlete if you can't swim. Another thing to, to, to know is as you become a faster swimmer, unless it's stage starts, you're going to get less of a benefit, um, at the front of the, like passing people. Because right now you're a slow swimmer and as you come through the field and you pass people, you're gonna get an arrow benefit each time you pass someone. Yes, so that will agree. also. Hydro benefit.
0: Yeah, if you're in the water, you're saying, yeah,
1: okay. yeah. But on the Chad's bike, Chad's trying to make a joke. Yeah, it's yeah. not a joke. <laughs> Sorry, I dissected
0: your joke and I ruined accurate. it. Uh, uh, <laughs> but if you're, but Nate's talking about on the bike. Oh yeah, on the bike. Come out of the water as you pass. Each person, I'm bad. I'm yeah, misunderstanding. And
1: I've been in um, some of the bigger half Ironmans where they have to do staged age group starts, mm-hmm. and I'll literally get to pass like five, six, 700 people on the bike. Mm. And it's legal as an age grouper to kind of come up behind them. Yeah. And you get about a second per each person you pass. Yeah, so that, that like reduces it. Uh, Mitch, I feel your pain. Swimming sucks. Um, I'd like to get better <laughs> at it. Here's, uh, here's my splits that I've done. So I don't remember my overall, but 70, I think third on the swim, seventh on the bike, seventh on the run. <laughs> so that's, I got to wow. pass people the whole race. That's but that, even more skewed. Wow. I know my problem just going to me because I love to talk about myself. <laughs> um, I, I don't swim straight during a race and that's okay. I, in the pool. I would beat people who would get out like, you know, 20th on the swim, mm. but I would just, I wear a garment in my swim cap and I, you could just see it I'm like all over the place. So you're just making it a longer course. Yeah. So anyways, Mitch, I think you should definitely up your swim and not have it be a race limiter. And to the, 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 the stronger swim you are, you probably have a little bit left over, more in the tank for the bike and the run, and that might improve too, even though you lose that aero advantage.
3: Yeah, it's going to change your tactics, and it might change your. It probably will change your attitude the entire time you're on the bike and on the run. Knowing you had
1: a good swim is going to be more motivating than trying to claw back a deficit. Yes, a few times I've had a good swim where I could like be in the front pack, and I was like, I just had to swim with people and not sight mm-hmm. during then the rest of the race. It's like you're in the front pack. You're in it. Like it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And um,
0: you feel like you're in the driver's seat too, instead of you. Yeah. Instead
1: of chasing, you're like, okay, I can count. There's four people ahead of me, and I'm going to try not to like reduce that gap. And it's more motivational. The whole. um,
0: Yeah.
3: Well, Mitch, you you said it yourself. You you said swimming is going from a weakness to a race limiter, and that's that's it. It's it's no longer a weakness. Mm -hmm. It's something that actually limits your performance and and your outcome.
1: Yeah. This is pretty obvious, but um, you might be uh, technique could be a thing too. 'Cause you obviously you have some fitness, so
0: mm, that's a good point. Uh let's go into Bray's question. He says, Hi, I have a horrible, horrible, horrible situation approaching. I'm devastated coming, a lot of people are coming to us with these <laughs> serious problems. He says, coming June 8th, I and my family, wife and three daughters, are going on a vacation to Lago Maggiore in North Italy.
1: Oh, sounds rough. Terrible. Mm. That's I'll, it? I'll the be stay- the whole question. I
0: will be staying in the tiny picturesque village of uh, Canero Riviera.
3: Oh, I get it. He's being sarcastic. It's the
0: worst. He says, in 2015, stage 18 of the Giro rolled right through the village. To top it off, it's located right at the bottom of an 1,100 meter-ish climb of Monte Ologno. He says, we will be staying there for eight days. What have I done to deserve this? I plan to rent a road bike for the whole duration during the stay. After our eight day stay in this horrible place, we will shift a little southwards and stay at a resort for nine days. I expect to ride a little or nothing during that stay. How can I utilize my time close to this hideous climb the best? Should I overload completely and rest in good conscience the following nine days at the resort? I expect to be back in Iceland on the 28th. He's from Iceland. That's awesome. Mm. Uh, I expect to be back in Iceland on the 28th of June. My a race is going forth on the 8th of July since so 106 kilometers of rolling road. How would you recommend that I use this one and a half week or so I have to dispose before my race. So he's going to be at a perfect climb with nine weeks of vacation after uh, personally, or yeah. nine days for you. If me.
1: you're, I mean, this is all going to be dependent on your family, but totally rack that TS up for those nine days and then take the next week, like at the resort and just relax. Yeah. You're not a professional.
0: No, yeah, that's what I would do.
3: Yeah. Would you do, Chad? Probably. It would depend how much I want to enjoy that subsequent nine days. I don't know how much I'd bury myself knowing that it's going to take a couple days to, to get me back on track to start feeling like a human again. So I might not completely bury myself, but I would definitely make the most out of that early eight days.
0: Yeah, and he's got a rolling road race coming up in June after that. Uh, this type of, this isn't probably the ideal training for a rolling road race, uh, in one respect. Um, but it, you're going to get so much benefit from this, from climbing on a sustained climb like yeah, that you have
1: or anything, unless your FTP is going to help you.
0: Yep. This is gonna a, be really so he effective. has a good question
1: though, and I'm going to make this more broad because I run into the same problem with travel. So you have a week, let's say, um, I, I can do a big week and then I have like a week of travel where I can't train and then one week before my race. And I'm always in the situation like, okay, I know before I can do a big week before my travel, rest for the during the travel where I can't do it. But then that week before the race, or this he has a week and a half. What do I do on there? I've always kind of just done usually VO2 max, Mm -hmm. try to stay like kind of snappy.
3: That's what I recommend. Just sharpen. You're just going to do the short high, short higher intensities type of stuff. Nothing that runs you down. I mean, you're not going to build a a whole lot of additional uh, deeper fitness. So Mm -hmm. you're not going to change your aerobic capacity or your aerobic base fitness much, you're not gonna enhance your muscular endurance much over the course of a week, but you can improve your anaerobic power and bring up your
1: your, your aerobic capacity, your VO2 max power a bit. So what if you're like a triathlete or you're gonna do something long? Mm. Like um, this, this, I think this could happen before we do um, the uh, lost and found, which yes. is gonna be okay. like seven, eight hours.
0: Yeah, it'll be a long I was day. thinking still I VO2 still max. Still probably
3: favor VO2 max. Yeah. Why, not, why not just not that? Because it still helps triathletes. Push that up just a
0: little bit higher. Yeah, yeah steady state athletes get a massive benefit and, too from VO2.
1: So why is that, Chad? Because I'm not going to be using VO2 max power during that race. Why would a VO2 max interval help me on a... Just per- improving aerobic capacity, improving your ability to do more work
3: at less cost in terms of sugar usage. So you're basically just, just improving your ability to metabolize fat and preserve the the, the muscle and the, the fuel sources that are you know less uh, plentiful.
0: There we are. Yeah, that's a, a big misconception. There is that is, since you're a steady state athlete, you don't need to have you know all the other stuff. So. Um, all right, And let's go into Will's question. <clears throat> Last one, he says, "Hi Team is a certifiably faster cyclist now." And uh, he says attributable attributable to entirely to trainer road. And in an effort to recruit yet another user who can give you five stars, I think we're up to fifteen or twenty now. I've convinced my wife to try the trainer. She dived right. That's a bold move, by the way. That it can't be a bold move. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says she dived right in and really enjoyed the session. While she was riding, I was explaining the basics of how the proper readout and intervals progress. Power. Power. Uh, uh, forgive me. Yeah, power. Uh, pr- uh, progress works in the app, etc. He then says, I noticed how much the bike was moving side to side when she was riding it. I mentioned to her that it was important to be planted with your sit bones on the saddle and trying to get the pedal stroke smooth and focus on that horizontal pedaling feeling that can make such a big difference. Certainly it reduced the side to side movement, but it was clear that bike fit and pedal technique influenced this a lot. He says, I've been working hard on the drills and the plans, and I think my style and technique has come a long way combined with the bike fit worth every cent. After seeing me on the bike later that day, my wife commented on how little the bike moves when I'm on it compared to what she experienced. Since then, I can't help noticing the tick tock that the bike makes with each pedal stroke due to the inescapable imbalance of the down and up pedal stroke forces not having any idea how solid, uh, the pros or people with really great technique and trainer experience can get. I wonder how, and he says in quotes, quiet, and still the bike becomes over time. Is it usual to have a very small rocking left to right motion? He says nothing to cause strain on the trainer or the bike, uh, but a little tick tock movement as you look down at the head tube. And does this translate in any way to the road where the bike is not constrained? Um, let's cover that one for, let's just jump into there right there.
3: Yeah. First things first, just rule out whether or not it's a fit issue. And in this case, it's probably going to be a saddle that's too high. So if she's leaning from side to side, going from hip to hip or, you know, foot to foot saddle's probably up a bit high. And uh, Jonathan didn't mention this, but you included that it was your bike with her saddle and you think the seat height's best possible. Well, check that first. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, she's on your bike. I don't know if you're taller than she is. It might be a bike that's too big for her. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, th- th- there's certainly a question of of practicing uh, and improving and quieting things down, as you put it, and as I put it often. But really, it's uh, there's going to be some side to side motion. It doesn't matter how proficient a pedaler you get. There's, I mean, you're, you're pushing one pedal down, pushing the other pedal down. There will be some side to side. How how much you can tone that down is going to be a matter of two things: experience, and then how hard you're pushing on the pedals at the moment.
0: Yeah, the, I, I've mentioned this before. I have somewhat of a man crush on Chad's pedaling technique and the way the way he rides a bike. He's very smooth. <laughs> He's um, just got awkward. <laughs> um, it's it's really smooth though. You you have this. Um, I think you carry your weight with uh, core strength rather than just plopping yourself on. Yeah, the Yeah, if saddle. you look at
3: the big time trialists like Tony Martin, Fabian Cancellara. I mean, they got a ton of power. They got a ton of trunk strength, and they're super smooth riders. And they can generate big watts with really minimal side to side movement or any, any real movement below the waist.
0: Yeah. And I think that that not only will it make for on the trainer, a less creaky experience, so to speak, but what it really does out on the road too. if you are the type of person that has a strong core, that's in a strong position, you know, your sit bones can be on that saddle, but if your hips are super rolled forward and you're not really using your core to, to Mm -hmm. hold yourself strong on that bike, you're not gonna be in a really stable position. There could be
3: a matter of flexibility too. If you have super tight hamstrings, super tight low back, and you're trying
1: to ride in a low position, that could have some influence on this. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that I bob my head. We did that VO2 max Mm -hmm. interval, Mm -hmm. and I looked at everyone, and I looked at me, and my head's going (laughs) back and forth. Yeah. And I see that sometimes with pros too. Yeah. Is that anything bad? A lot bad? of
0: you know, a lot of mountain bikers too. They have a lot of head movement, a lot of bobbing.
1: Um, it's like a rhythmic thing,
3: though. It's not. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even fault it as, it as bad form. It's just. It's kind of metronomic. They just use
1: it. To I've got it. music in my head.
0: <laughs> yeah, <you> yeah. <laughs> he's dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one thing that I would say about that is, if you are moving your body weight laterally like that in any way, uh, technically you are using. Wasted. Yes, you are using. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's more muscle contraction going on where it. You know. If you could relax everything but your legs, you would be more efficient at pedaling your bike, right?
1: And that's a good point, especially if you're doing something long like mm-hmm. this Lost and Found or um, Ironman yeah. racing, yeah. uh, all, any of that, like that extra bob for mm-hmm. like – if I just bob my head for six hours, yeah. I'm going to get really tired.
0: You know who are like the best – you mentioned the top time trialists. They're great to look at. And another uh, group of athletes that's wonderful to look at are the top – Ironman triathletes, mm-hmm. watching them like Jan Fredenio when he rides, just oh, yeah. keenly, Minimally like all those wasteful. guys. They are so quiet on that fluid, bike, yeah. just smooth. The legs are moving, but the bike is just going straight down. They don't road. look
3: like they're, you know, grasping the upper body, trying to freeze that upper body motion. They're just relaxed and fluid. A lot anchored. of anchored too. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. They
0: um, have a good fit, and then their body is is trained, not not just their legs, but their body is trained to be strong enough so that they aren't having to carry too much strain or too much stress in that body. You know, my
3: head bob too is not arrow. That's right. trim- it's very much not. Yeah. So no, it's just taking your frontal area and magnifying it and making yep. it larger.
0: Mm hmm. So so it's, it's definitely something that, uh, you can look at trying to kind of, I guess, get a marginal gain, so to speak of trying to quiet things down. But really the one thing is if that's distracting you from hitting your power targets or anything else, like we've always said, this is marginal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're talking small. So that'll be it for this episode. Thanks everybody for submitting your questions. Uh, you can do so again at trainerroad.com slash podcast. We'll go through all the questions we get and answer them again next week. Talk to you then.
3: Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.